Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Well, it's great to see you guys this morning. If you're joining us online, we're glad you're joining us that way. If you have your Bibles, go over to John 21. Today, we are looking at another one of the questions Jesus asked. It's one of the more fascinating questions that I think can cause us to really think through some things that we all wrestle with. And so John chapter 21, and beginning in verse 15, the context here is it's not been very long since Jesus died and rose from the dead. Uh, This is Jesus' third appearance uh, to a group of his disciples, and we catch up in verse 15. They're eating some food. They're around a campfire. It says, and when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's a really great question, but it's not the question we're looking at. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And so uh, this is a very kind of emotional moment in that Jesus has seen Peter a couple times before this moment. He's been with groups of the disciples before this moment. The first time, just sort of uh, his initial resurrection appearance to the disciples other than Thomas. And then uh, the second time, uh, he's with the disciples. It's very focused on Thomas, that Thomas had said that he wouldn't, he couldn't believe it unless he saw, the, saw Jesus and touched him himself. And And so, but there's still been this elephant in the room of the fact that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so this moment is all about Jesus sort of undoing that moment of Peter's three-time denial, and that the, we see that the, the setting is similar. When Peter first denied knowing Jesus, he was by a campfire, and so here they are again, by a campfire, and Peter denied Jesus three times, and then Peter, Jesus asks Peter this question three times, allowing Peter to reaffirm his love for Jesus, and, and then now Jesus is going to say something to Peter, um, this very, uh, kind of this prophecy of, of what Peter's life's gonna look like. It, P- Jesus said, uh, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And so, so Jesus is telling Peter, hey, as you follow me, it's going to get difficult. You're going to go some places that you would not choose to go. And you're ultimately gonna die in a similar way that I did. People are going to stretch out your hands. And so Peter's picking this up, this idea that following Jesus is going to be difficult and ultimately lead to his crucifixion, which it does in the end. Peter's crucified upside down. He didn't wanna be crucified in the same manner as Jesus as he didn't think he was worthy of it. And then, he, and then Jesus said to him, follow me. 
Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, who, who in John writes about himself in the gospel, doesn't say his name, oftentimes refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw John, he asked, Lord, what about him? And, and so there's this this thing where, where Peter had denied Jesus and, and, and John hadn't. John was the one disciple that didn't run away scared. The rest of the disciples, when Jesus was being crucified, kind of ran and hid on a no part of all that. They didn't want to end up in the same situation as Jesus, except for John. John, we see, is at the foot of the cross with the ladies. It's, John is there until the end. Jesus asks John to take care of his mom. And so John, who, who the disciples probably the whole time thought Jesus might have loved the most, John certainly, certainly portrays it that they had this closer relationship. John, the one who didn't run away, who didn't deny Jesus, the, John, the one who took care of Jesus' mom, Peter sees, sees John and says, well, what about him? Hey, well, if I'm gonna die this terrible death, well, I at least wanna know that he's gonna die one too. There's something in us where misery loves company. It's like, hey, it's, it's gonna be really hard for me, but at least, at least if my buddy's got the same deal going on, it's gonna feel a little better. John says, well, what about him? And then Jesus answered, if I want him, this is our question for today, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? What Jesus is doing is, is, is Peter's falling into the trap of comparison, and, and Jesus is saying, hey, as my follower, comparisons really aren't the thing. And Jesus says, what if my plan for him is, is, is totally different than my plan for you? What difference does that make for you? It says, because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And then uh, John said, goes on to say, this is me, the one who's writing this. And so this comparison thing is such a big deal. And, and I, I think a lot of us, that uh, this comparison thing, maybe your whole life you found yourself comparing yourself to a sibling, or maybe even now in your life you've got friends that you find yourself constantly comparing yourself to, and it's keeping you from fully experiencing all that God has for you. And I wanna to talk to you today about how to get out of this comparison trap. See, as followers of Jesus, we must avoid the comparison trap. Comparison usually ends badly. It either ends where I'm better than you and I get prideful, or I'm worse than you and I feel shameful. It's, it's I look at your life and think your life's better and I'm jealous or envious, or I think my life's better or I get arrogant or Boastful. This has been going on since the earliest moment in history. We see this with Cain and Abel. They're, they begin comparing their worship, their sacrifices to God, and Abel's was, Abel's was received better by God than, than Cain's. Cain gets jealous as he compares and he kills his brother Abel. It's, it's, and listen, our kids do it. The difference between kids' comparison and adults' comparison is kids will say it out loud. You give two kids each a serving of ice cream, if one of the portions is 5% larger than the other, they immediately become experts at the visual measurement of ice cream. Well, why did you give him more ice cream? Well, then try to even it out, give the other kid another little bit, another scoop, and then now the other kids, well, now he's got more. Comparing himself, you split and order of fries, 
One kid gets one fry more than the other, a riot begins to break out. Kids do this, they verbalize it. Adults do this, usually we simply internalize it. We think, look how they look, look at what they have, look where they, look where they went, look at their trophies, look at their car, look at their family, their relationships. Pastors get together and do it. Well, how many people does your church have last Sunday? And then pastors always lie and make it sound about twice as many as they actually had. This comparison thing, it's everywhere, and, and uh, the phrase comparison is, uh, is the thief of joy. It's attributed both to Mark Twain and Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt grew up as a, as a sickly child. He was smaller than average. He suffered from asthma. Life was difficult for him as a child, but he talks about how he, he never, he, he sought to avoid comparing himself to others. Let me read you this quote. This comparison is the thief of joy, he emphasized to himself and others. He said, don't compare yourself to others. You have no idea what their journey is all about. He goes on to say, a flower does not think of competing with the flower next to it. It just blooms. Comparison steals our joy. The, the urge to compare has never been more prevalent and never been easier than now. It's always been a thing from the beginning of history, but with social media, we're just invited to constantly compare. Back in 1954, psychologists began talking about what they call social comparison theory, kind of this psychology of comparison. And in psychology today, it was talking about this uh, social comparison theory, but how it's really changed with the advent of social media, it says this. Comparisons can be harmful when, you leave, when they leave you feeling chronically inferior or depressed. That was the case well before the advent of social media, a turbocharged precision instrument for social comparison unlike anything in human history. Part of its uniqueness, researchers point out, is that it paints a heavily skewed picture of one's social universe. People are most likely to share peak experiences and flattering news about themselves. University of Houston psychologist Myla Steer says this, calls everyone else's highlight reel, and tech companies further use algorithms to prioritize that very information in social media feeds. So, so the people that are engineering social media feeds are going out of their way to cause you to regularly see things that will cause you to feel inferior. It says the narrow, distorted slice of reality that is displayed, displayed on social media is almost perfectly constructed to make viewers feel deficient and discouraged. Goes on to say it creates a tsunami of excess information at warp speed, which could intensify the effects. One Princeton psychologist coined the phrase, envy up, scorn down, to summarize the feelings provoked when we weigh our worth next to others using social media. See, the thing about comparison is it doubts God's goodness. See, when we, when we uh, fall into the comparison trap, we begin saying, God, why didn't you make me prettier? Why didn't you make me more talented or born to a richer family or have a kinder spouse? See, the th th thing is we, we fall into this trap. In Psalm 73, we see a guy named Asaph. Asaph, one of the primary worship leaders for the people of Israel. And this whole psalm is, is he's talking about how he began to fall into the comparison trap where he began to see wicked people. And he, said that, he says, their character looks worse than mine, but their life looks better than mine. Their character looks worse, but their life looks better. 
And he says, it began to cause me to lose my faith. He says, I, I, I almost walked away. That's the thing is when we begin to fall in the comparison game, we start to doubt God's goodness. Comparison hinders gratitude. See, comparison is really the opposite of God, thank you. And it really changes to God, why didn't you? See, comparison hinders gratitude, but the opposite's true. If you wanna get out of the comparison game, fall into the gratitude game. Gratitude will hinder comparison. See, comparison hurts our relationships. We see this in the Bible. We see the story of, of these two sisters, Rachel and Leah. Rachel was the really pretty sister. Leah was the other one. And so we, we see this thing where their whole life they've been competing. Rachel was the pretty one. Leah was the, was the one that wasn't as pretty. Jacob comes and he sees Rachel. He says, I want to marry her. Everybody wanted to marry Rachel. Nobody wanted to marry Leah. And their dad, Laban, thought, you know what? I don't think Leah's ever going to get married. The best bet is to trick Jacob into marrying her. And so then he marries, he marries Leah, discovers that he's been tricked. He ends up marrying Rachel as well. And the comparisons continue. And see, what happens is, is Leah starts having kids Rachel's not having any, we, we, and the comparison game continues. We catch up in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. It says, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous. See, comparison leads to jealousy and envy, which ruins relationships. She became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Words that a husband really never wants to hear. Give me children or I'll die. And, and see, this comparison thing is it's continuing. And when they were little, it was who's prettier. As they got older, it's who's having kids and who's not. And it's lead, leading to envy and jealousy and relationships being messed up. It continues in the next generation with now they've got all these kids and, and, and it, it seemed as though Joseph was the favorite child. Jacob makes Joseph this special coat and then the brothers all compare and they get envious and they get jealous and they say, well, let's kill him. And they're like, well, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Comparison ruins relationships. If you wanna have great relationships, stop comparing and begin cheering people on. Instead of, instead of comparing yourself for what's going on in the lives of others, begin encouraging them as they live out their dreams and all God has for them. Uh, this, here's the thing. Comparison gives us a false perspective. You ever heard the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side? There was this guy, Scott Sonnenshine, who, who, who did this whole investigation about how grass grows and how we see it across our fence. Here's what he discovered, that when we look over our fence, their lawn actually does look greener because of the physics of how grass grows, that the perspective can mean theirs looks like a better hue of green, even though it is actually the same color of our grass. It's all because of a false perspective. And that's what happens when we compare our lives with others, is we're comparing what's going on on our insides versus what's going on on their outsides. We're looking at it through a false perspective. Comparison can begin to blind us to our own problems. Here's the thing about comparison. Because of the wonder of reality TV and social media, you can always find someone worse than you. And you're like, oh, I feel pretty good about myself. 
Ben and I took our little boys to Legoland recently, and some of my least Christian moments in my life have taken place at a theme park. And uh, after a certain amount of time at a theme park with a certain amount of people, I can just begin to kind of lose it. And, uh, but, but on this particular day at this theme park, the kids were great, Claire and I were great, and then we begin to have the joy of seeing other parents go crazy. And we begin to see these kids behaving far worse than our kids. And then we begin to see these parents with that look in their eyes that I have had before, which is I've been here too long, these kids are driving me crazy, I could lose it. But we didn't have it. And I said to Claire, I said, isn't it awesome to see all these kids behaving more poorly than our children? And then look at all these parents with their poorer parenting than ours. I was like, doesn't that feel amazing? And, and because we've, you could always find someone that is worse than you. But it's really not a great way to live because it can blind us to our problems, make us feel better than we are. But the other thing is when we, can, when we compare down, we feel better. But when we compare up, we feel worse. And again, it's a false perspective. See, what comparison does is it, un, it un, underestimates the challenges of others. When we compare up and we're like, man, their life looks awesome. Man, their house looks great. The trips they go on looks awesome. It underestimates the challenges of others. One thing that pastoring this church last 17 years has shown me is I've gotten to have an up-close look at a lot of people's lives that from the outside, other people look and think, man, their life just looks they live in the house I wish I lived in. They drive the car I wish I drove. Man, their kids look perfect. And, here, and here's the fact. Everybody's family has real challenges. You just don't see it on social media. You just don't see it from the outside as a casual acquaintance or, or a distant friend. But once you get close, every single Family, no matter what their last name is, no matter, no matter how much money they've got, no matter how beautiful they are, every single family has real challenges. But when we compare up from a distance, looking over the fence, if you will, we have this false perspective that, that, that causes us to, to, to underestimate the challenges of others. Comparison undermines the idea of stewardship of what God has given you. See, really the parable of the talents uh, uh, is this whole idea that God entrusts all of us in, in different ways, different things, and different amounts. And that this whole idea of to whom much is given, much is required. And, there, and there's people in your life that, that, have, that have experienced more opportunity than you have. And there's people in your life that, that have received more natural abilities than you have. And there are people in your life that have had less opportunity than you have, and there's people in your life that, are, that have less natural abilities than you have. Maybe you have a friend, and, and their, their father was wealthy, and when they started their business, their father gave them a $1 million gift or a no-interest loan, and, and they had an opportunity that you've never had. Or, or maybe they're off the charts gifted in a certain area, but, or, or, or maybe there's lots of people that, that, that have had less opportunities or, or may have less abilities than you have. And so what happens is when we compare ourselves to people on those extremes, what we do is we lose sight of simply being good stewards of what God has given 
us. See, your job is not to measure up to others. Your job is to faithfully steward what God has entrusted you. Your job is to faithfully steward the opportunities God's given you. Your job is to faithfully steward the gifts and abilities and talents that God's given you. And what comparison does is it takes our eyes off of that. See, the thing is, comparison keeps us from the most important things in life. See, see, as followers of Jesus, in the biggest ways, God's plans for us are identical. In the biggest ways, God's plans for us are exactly the same. See, what Jesus' work has done for us on the cross means that when it comes to my identity and my purpose, I am in an identical place with every other follower of Jesus ever. See, as followers of Jesus, on the big stuff, the stuff that's gonna last forever, on the big stuff, our identity, they, it's exactly the same. See, see, what's happening is Peter's looking at John, and he's saying, man, are the details of the rest of his life gonna look like mine? Is he gonna die in a, in a difficult way like, like I'm going to? And, and, and here's what Jesus' two big messages were to, to Peter. He says, I, I, he says to him, he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? He asked him three times that. And then twice he says, you just worry about following me. So, so when it comes down to my identity on the big stuff, we're all the same. We're all loved. As followers of Jesus, we're all loved, we're all forgiven, we all have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us, we all one day will be fully made like Jesus and be with him forever and ever and ever. This is the big stuff, this is the stuff that matters, this is the forever stuff, this identity of who God says we are. And so what happens because of what Christ has done for us on the cross as followers of Jesus, we're set free from this comparison trap because our true identity is the same as every other follower of Jesus and our purpose is the same as every other follower of Jesus. The message that Jesus said to Peter, he says, I want you to love me and I want you to follow me and I want you to join me on my mission. He says, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. He's, he's inviting him in on his mission. That's the same purpose he had for John. He says, love me, follow me, join in on my mission in the world. And it's the same purpose he has for us. So when it comes down to our sense of identity and our sense of purpose, we are all identical. Comparison goes out the window. These are the things that matter forever. And then in the temporary, specific ways, God's plans for us are all different, and this is good. This is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he talks about how the church is like a body. He said, just as a body, though one has many parts, all of its parts form one body. So it is with Christ, for we're all baptized by one spirit. Again, that's that, that same identity thing. As to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up of one part, of, of more, of, even, the, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 
If they were all one, if, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. He's like, hey, imagine that your body's just a big giant nose. How's that gonna work? Or a big giant ear. How's that gonna work? He says, hey, your body has got all these different parts and it's all these different parts have an important role to play and they're all different and they all matter and, and without each one coming together, the body doesn't function. And so what Paul said, he says, that's, that's what God's done with us. He's given us all different abilities and gifts and personalities and passions and, and it's these differences, these temporary differences that God uses to come together to form something beautiful. So we've all got different gifts, and we've all got different talents, and we've all had different experiences, and we all have different passions and personalities, and we all have different types of resources, and we all have different amounts of resources, and we all have different specific callings, and we all, we've experienced different pains and different burdens and different struggles. But what God does is he takes, takes these, these smaller temporary differences and he brings us together because we're better, because we're different, we're better together. Imagine if the whole world was just like you. Wouldn't, wouldn't it just be a, a boring world to live in? But we're all, we have these temporary differences that we come together and, and we're better together. I wanna say this one quick thing. There is a difference between comparison and inspiration. See, what comparison is, it's about me feeling better than you or me feeling worse than you. Comparison ends up where I want what you have. I end up envious or jealous or I end up prideful or boastful. But, but inspiration is not about me feeling better than them or worse than them. Inspiration is able to cheer other people on and still want them to continue to thrive. Here's what inspiration says. Inspiration says, that person seems, the word seems is important because I only see from the outside. That person seems to be making the most out of the gifts and abilities and opportunities that God has given them living a life of faithfulness in following and loving Jesus. And then it asks this question. It doesn't say I wanna be them or they're better than me or why am I not them. It says this, asks this question. What might it look like for me to make the most of the gifts and abilities and opportunities that God has given me living a life of faithfulness and love for Jesus? And so it's different. Inspiration's different than comparison. I think about Pastor Tom and, and, and the inspiration that his life is to me. For 50, almost 52 years, he's been faithfully serving the church of Jesus and, and loving his wife well and his family well and, and Jesus well for, 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 for decades longer than I have. It's, I, Tom and I are very, very different. I don't compare myself to him. I'm not like, he's better, I'm worse, I'm worse, he's better. I'm like, I am inspired that for a long, long time, it seems as though he's maximized the gifts and the opportunities that, that God has given him to faithfully love and follow Jesus and join in on his mission. There's this, and so it, it says, what would it look like for me to, to live a, a lifetime of faithfully following and loving Jesus, maximizing the opportunities, gifts, and abilities that God has given me? So a few wrap-up thoughts. So instead of comparing 
uh, eliminate comparisons and embrace contentment and gratitude. Instead of comparing, live a life where you cheer people on. Few things will help your relationships more than encouragement. Everybody's looking for people to encourage them, to cheer them on as, as they succeed, to cheer them on as they grow, to cheer them on as they fulfill all that God has put inside of them, that, 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 to cheer them on and to say, how can I help? How can I come alongside as, as you take next steps? Cheer people on. And remember that as followers of Jesus, we've been set free from the comparison trap because we know that on the biggest things, our sense of identity, that, that, that we have, are loved and forgiven, have been adopted into God's family, received God's spirit. One day we're gonna be with Jesus and like him forever and ever and ever, that on these big things we're all the same, and that the ways in which he's made us different make us better as we come together. And, and that he's given us each these, these different abilities and talents and callings and passions and personalities. And it's not that one's better or worse. It's not that I need to wish I was more like you or you wish you were more like me, but that God takes us all together and together we're better because, not in spite of, but because we are different. Let me pray for you. Really, a lot of it's just this question of, of, of what's going to define me? Am I gonna be defined by God? Who, who, am I gonna be defined by who he says I am, where he says I'm loved and forgiven, adopted as his child, created to love and follow him, uniquely shaped and gifted and called and created for a purpose? Or am I gonna define myself by my perceptions as I compare myself to others? One leads to a life of steady, secure, joy, peace, and gratitude. And the other lead leads to a life of instability and insecurity, bouncing between pride and shame, envy and jealousy. So Father, our prayer, God, would you set us free from the comparison game? Lord, would you help us to find our identity and not, not in our perceptions as we compare ourselves to others, making ourselves feel better, ourselves feel worse, but God, would we find our identity as to who you say we are? We are your beloved children, adopted into your family, forgiven, that, 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 are we gonna, that, that you would help us to find our sense of who we are and who you say we are and the purpose you've given us, to love you and to follow you and to help other people do. Father, would you help us to live that way? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.